Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, good morning, Calvary. So glad that you're here today. You, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 21, and I am going to encourage you to kind of just sit back for a minute here in Auditorium 1, Auditorium 2. I'm going to tell you something that some of you thought you would never hear. You ready? We're going to be done with the book of Acts by Easter. Yeah. Yeah, some of you are doing the math. You're like, chapter 21, there's no way. There's no way. We got a plan. And uh, so no promises, but that's the plan anyways. We're working our way through the book of Acts since 1951. And if you remember last week, last week we, we left off in Acts chapter 20 where Paul was with the Ephesian elders and he was in, in, in Miletus, and he was sharing with them what it meant to live a life without regret, what, what kind of pastoral leadership they should have. We talked about being a builder, about being a shepherd. And if you can remember, part of what he said was, look, guys, I don't have a whole lot of time because I've got to get to Jerusalem. His focus was to get to Jerusalem. And so if you read the first part, we're just kind of move through this real quick today, but if you read the first part of chapter 21, what you see is Paul's journey from the West, kind of what we know today as Greece and Turkey, as he moves back to what today we would know as Israel on the Mediterranean Sea and, and the stops he makes along the way. It's actually a fascinating journey that he takes. And then eventually he makes it back to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, he visits with some of the religious leaders there and he walks through because he is a, he is a, a devout Jew, even though he is still a, a Christian. He has his Jewish heritage. He walks through some of the, the, the ceremonial Jewish purity practices that leads him to the temple, and when he's in the temple, a group of his opponents are there. And when they see him, they make an accusation against him that is not true, but because of what they do, what they say, and how they do it, it brings people from all over the city into the temple courts, which quickly becomes a, a mob and starts a riot. If you don't think it's bad, Look at this, Acts chapter 21, verse 31. While they were trying to kill him, do you think it's bad? <laughs> it's bad. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. And when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. That's like when the principal comes out on the playground, right? <laughs> It's like all of a sudden it stops. This is bad for Paul. They're trying to kill him. They're beating him. This is a bad situation. The Roman soldiers do not want this. What they want is peace and calm and quiet because their job as Roman soldiers in occupied Jerusalem is to maintain peace and order. And so when this chaos happens, they know they've got to deal with it so word doesn't get back to their bosses in Rome that something's wrong. So they are in a hurry. They're hustling to get Paul out of there, get Paul into the, the, the jail area, and watch what happens. Verse 37, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? That had, that had recently happened. Somebody had started a revolt and even an attack on Jerusalem, and they thought that maybe Paul was that guy. Verse 39, instead, Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, 
a citizen of no ordinary city, please let me speak to the people. Which people? The ones who are trying to kill him. The mob that was beating him. Does this seem a little counterintuitive to you? Where do I want to go? I want to get inside. I want to be safe. What does Paul say? He says, please let me speak to the people. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look today at what Paul says to the people. And then next week, we'll fast forward a few chapters and we'll look at another time where Paul has an opportunity in front of an important audience to speak. And here's what's interesting. When Paul has these opportunities, it's twice here as we get to the end of the book of Acts. Twice we have these opportunities where we hear Paul speak. Once in front of a mob, once in front of rulers. And it's interesting. The apostle Paul Arguably one of the greatest thinkers of all time, the Apostle Paul, whose writings have reached people, millions and millions of people over history. The Apostle Paul, not just a great theologian, but the guy who actually God used to draft theology for us. The Apostle Paul, the communicator, the philosopher, the brilliance of the Apostle Paul. And when he has these two moments to stand in front of these people and deliver maybe the most important message of his life. He doesn't give them philosophy and he doesn't give them theology. He does something that might seem so simple, but it's the right thing to do and it was the right thing for Paul to do. And I think it's the right thing for you to do. In those moments, Paul told them his story because your story is a powerful thing. A lot of times we we think to ourselves, maybe I don't have anything to say. Maybe maybe there's nothing special about me. There's nothing important about me. I could never preach or I could never speak or my words could never make a difference. You have the same thing the Apostle Paul had and that's a story. You have a story and it's a powerful thing. Have you ever been around someone who's had like a really cool experience And then they want to tell you about it. Maybe they met someone famous and they want to share that with you. Or maybe they went on a cool trip and they pull out their phone and they start showing you some pictures on their phone because they want you to see about their trip. Or you know when you usually get this? You usually get this when somebody has a grandchild. Do you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Right? Grandchild's born. They tell you all about this famous grandchild and who this famous grandchild's going to be. And here's pictures on our phone. Here's another picture. Oh, they're spitting up. Oh, you know, like it's all that stuff that you see. Why? Because you have a story to tell. There's times when someone has really important information and it's meaningful for them to get it to you. When I find this out, I I usually find this out when I'm going to travel somewhere I've never been before. And I talk to someone who's been there or maybe even lived there, and they share with you some insider information that you might not have. That's really important when it comes to restaurants. Anybody? Right? Like, I remember years ago, it was was one of the first times that I had done a trip kind of like this. I was traveling to Dallas. A friend of mine, Marty, said, oh, you're going to Dallas. When you go, you need to eat at this steakhouse. I thought, I don't know, but it worked out. It was near the place, went there and ate, and I had a religious experience in that restaurant. <laughs> it was amazing. Like, you might not know this, but our, like, resident staff foodie is Pastor Jay Heiss, our middle school pastor. Like, Pastor Jay, he just, he just knows food, right? And so, like, I was going to Cincinnati, and he's like, oh, you ought to check out this barbecue place. I was going up to Detroit. Oh, you ought to check out this barbecue place. He did not steer me wrong. Forget Yelp, forget TripAdvisor, go to j.com. If you want to know where to eat, you talk to Pastor Jay. I was in Austin not too long ago, never been there. My friend Jordan used to live there. He's like, hey, man, you need to check out these restaurants. I was so glad he told me. 
Because if they had not told me, I would have missed out on those places. And what's cool is I came back and I said, hey, man, I ate at that place you told me about. It was fantastic. And you watched their face light up. And they're like, I'm so glad that I told you my story and what I know because what I knew changed your life. If you think that's important about restaurants, do you think eternity matters? Look, you have a story to tell. What story, some of you are thinking, could I possibly tell? Look, at the end of the day, your story's not really about you. It's really about Jesus. It's about how he loves us and how he died for us and how he lives again and he brings life to us and he promises hope and heaven for us. That is the story, not only that we have to tell, but that we need to tell. Look, I'm encouraging you, and we're going to talk about it these next two weeks, and I hope you'll, you'll, you'll be encouraged, and you'll see the possibility of this, and you'll have a passion inside of you. As followers of Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you. Tell your story, because it matters, and it's important. You know, like, there's a, there's a fascination, I think, that kids have with a megaphone. You ever seen one of these? Kids are fascinated with a megaphone. In fact, I'm fascinated with a megaphone. There's just something about this. When you have it in your hands, it is a feeling of power. Right? It's just, it's awesome when you got this thing. Now, this is, it's cool to kind of play with and just kind of mess around with. And it's just kind of a fun tool. I really, earlier today, I wanted to just walk through the halls, like calling people out. Stop that. You know, doing this kind of thing. I just wanted to, but I thought it could cause chaos and a mob and a riot, and I know how that worked out for Paul, so I didn't do it, right? I didn't do it. It's fun to play with, but it's really important to have if there is chaos. Like if there's a moment when people don't know what to do and somebody's got to give instruction and you have the information, maybe there's, there's all kinds of things happening all over, it's a powerful thing to have a tool in your hands that'll cut through the confusion, that'll cut through the chaos, that will in that moment let you speak to clarity in a way that people can hear and understand you, that's the power of a megaphone. Your story is your megaphone. That in a world of chaos and confusion, God has allowed your story to be something that you can share that will cut through all that confusion and clearly communicate to people who Jesus really is. You have a story I want to challenge you to not to be afraid to use it. We're, we're going to look at what Paul says here today, and hopefully it'll help us to understand how we can use our story. My, my, my hope, my prayer is that these next two weeks, there will be a passion inside of you that will stir inside of you, that will move you in a way that you're going to want others to know what you know. Much like this lady that, that, that recently the authorities were looking for at Towson University outside of Baltimore. Police were going around looking for this lady because she had wandered on campus and into the library and into the arts center, and she would walk up to groups of students, especially young ladies. She would pull out her phone, and she would show them a picture of her son and ask them if any of them wanted to date him. <laughs> she was passionate that they knew her information. And the police put out a report about this and said, look, we're looking for this lady, not because we want to arrest her for anything criminal, we just want to ask her to stop. Lady, just stop. <laughs> Look, there is a time, though, when your passion challenges you to tell other people. You have a story. Let me tell you some things about your story today. Number one, it is your story to tell. 
It's not your story to sit on. It's not your story to wonder about. I believe God gives us our story to tell it, to share it, to let it impact others' lives. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more exactly about how to tell your story. But today, I want to challenge you. It is your story to tell. Listen to Paul tell his. Acts chapter 21, verse 39. Paul says, this blows my mind. Please let me speak to the people. And after receiving the commander's permission... Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. And when they were all silent, and and take note of this, he said to them in Aramaic, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. And then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priests and all the council could themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul says, instead of being in a safe spot, he says, please let me speak to the people. Instead of trying to get to a place where he would be protected, He knew he had an opportunity in that moment to speak to people in a way that could impact their lives. He didn't want it to go to waste. He wanted them to hear about Jesus, and he knew the best way to do that was to tell them his story. I want to challenge you. Tell your story to the people. Like There are people in your world. There are people you will come in contact with. There are people who who will come in and out of your orbit that in those times, it's right for you to say, how do I tell my story to the people? Do not keep it to yourself. There are people who need to hear it, and their lives can be changed by it. Let me me point out, you you might go, well, who needs to hear my story? Let me encourage you with this, and, and don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. The mob needs your message. Look, as, as Paul was in this spot, he was standing in front of a mob. I know that can sound like a negative term, but let me tell you why they were so outrageously upset. Because they did not understand who Jesus was. And as a result, they were responding in a way that, that just didn't seem to make sense. And there are people all around us who do not understand who Jesus is. And they're resistant to hearing more. It didn't just happen 2,000 years ago. It sounds a little bit like 2019, doesn't it? And there are people in our world that may misunderstand who Jesus is, but it's up to us to share our faith with them. Barna Research did did some insight into this and studied to find out why is it that people do not like to have conversations about faith? Whether they're people of faith or not, why is it that when a religious conversation comes up, we don't like to have those conversations? Here's, Here's some of the broad categories that they found. People said, I don't like to have religious conversations because religious conversations always seem to create tension or arguments. Anybody? People said, I'm not religious and I don't care about these kind of topics. I'm put off by how religion has been politicized. I don't feel like I know enough to talk about religious or spiritual topics. I don't want to be known as a religious person. I don't know how to talk about religious or spiritual topics without sounding weird. Anybody ever talk to somebody that sounds weird? Come on, more of you have talked to people who sound weird, right? I'm afraid people will see me as a fanatic or an extremist. I'm embarrassed by the way religious language has been used in popular culture. I've been hurt 
by religious conversations in the past. Religious language and jargon feels cheesy or outdated. Those are all actually some pretty good and relevant objections, why people don't want to have religious conversations. Do you know what cuts through those things? Don't have a religious conversation. Tell them your story. Tell them your story and let them know what Jesus has done for you. Look, there are people all around us who need to hear your story. And can I tell you this? Your people need your message. Not just the the people out there who, who are unsure about Jesus and unsure about you. Your people, those in your world, need your message. Like, I would challenge you right now. Think about this for a moment. Who, who in, in my workplace, who in my school, who, who in my circle of influence, who in my family would God have me to share my story with because their story needs to be touched by Jesus as well? Both in the, in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Luke, there's a story where Jesus delivers a man. He, he was possessed by demons, and Jesus brings him freedom and release and life. He, he becomes delivered. And when he does, the guy says, Jesus, I want to go with you. Let, let me go with you. Verse, verse 19 of Mark chapter 5, it says, Jesus did not let him go with him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's the the region that he lived in around the Sea of Galilee, tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Jesus tells us to tell our story. In fact, the, the book of Acts really is a narrative about how the people who were touched by Jesus go all over the world telling their story. Sometimes we get gun shy. Sometimes we're a little hesitant to tell our story. And I think in part because in our culture in this day and time, it is increasingly becoming less and less acceptable to talk about these kinds of things. Have you found that to be true? Barna, back to that research we were talking about, they did a survey and they asked Christians, people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, all different ages, They asked them this question, would you agree or disagree with this statement? Part of my faith means being a witness for Jesus. So they asked these Christians, do you agree or disagree? Part of my faith means being a witness for Jesus. 95% of the people said yes. Yeah, part of being a Christian is being a witness for him. Next question, agree or disagree? The best thing that could happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. So not only do these people think they should share their faith, but they're asking them, the best thing that could happen to someone is to come to know Jesus. Again, about 95% across all age categories said, yes, we agree with that. So so you got 95 out of 100 people who are Christians saying, yes, I should share my faith, and yes, the best thing that could happen to someone is for them to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Those are pretty good numbers, right? Here's the next question, agree or disagree. It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. So basically they're saying, do you think it's right or wrong for you to witness to someone, to share your faith, your story with someone in hopes that they will no longer be the faith that they are but will come to faith in Jesus Christ, which you said is the most important thing that can happen to someone. One in five people across all age categories say, hmm, 
I don't, I don't think you should force that on somebody. It's wrong for you to share your faith like that with someone of another faith. One in five. And among younger Christians, 47%, almost half, that even though it's important for people to know Jesus, say it's wrong for you to share your faith hoping that people will change. It doesn't seem to connect for me except for the fact that that reminds me an awful lot of our culture, doesn't it? Because we live in a culture that says, look, it's okay for you to believe whatever you want to believe. In fact, David Kinneman, who's the president of Barna Research, calls it a world of you do you and don't criticize anyone's life's choices. And it's a feeling first priority that's a way of life in our culture. And the problem is we have made talking about Jesus or we've made evangelism a thing where either we win or we lose. Either someone is saved or they're not saved. When actually the point is not changing someone's mind, the point is introducing someone to Jesus and helping them to find a relationship that will truly change their life. It's a powerful thing for us to consider. So I want to challenge you, tell your story in the world. Tell it to people who don't know Jesus. Tell it to people in your world. And and listen, can I encourage you with this? When you tell your story, tell your story well. Like, Like we watch this with the Apostle Paul. He's a master at what he's doing here, and we'll see it again next week further on in the book of Acts. When Paul tells his story, he tells it very deliberately to connect with the people that he's talking to. So let me give you just a couple of pointers. Here's here's the first one. If you're gonna tell your story, speak the right language. Make sure that you speak the right language. If, If we look at history, we can probably guess that Paul knew at least four languages. He knew Greek, which was kind of the commerce and business language of that time. He knew Hebrew, which is what he would have known in his rabbinical teaching. He probably knew Latin to a point that he was at least uh, competent in it. And he also knew Aramaic, which was was the heart language of the Jewish people. So when Paul got up to preach to this crowd, when he got up to speak to them, he didn't use Greek or Latin or Hebrew. What language did he use? Anybody remember? Aramaic, why? Because he wasn't talking to their heads. He was trying to make a connection with them. He was trying to speak to their hearts. <laughs> Several years ago, I was, I was in the country of Panama on a missions trip, and I was part of this group, and so they had this, these translators that went with us, and I, and I stayed real close to one of the translators because I don't speak Spanish, and I didn't like not knowing what was going on. And so oftentimes, I would, when we were in a place, I would, I would find myself close to this guy so that I could kind of find out what was happening. And so I remember... I would always kind of look at him like, what are they saying? What's going on here? And he developed this pattern that when we were in a place and there was a conversation going on and I would look over at him and he knew I wanted to know, he would look at me and he'd go, they're talking about you. (laughs) And then he'd go, go, and he's not good. Like that, every time. Like that was this thing. It was terrifying. It was like, I don't know what you're saying. Look, so many times we use language in the church or we use language without people outside the church that isn't a language that they speak. Make sure that when you talk to people, when you share with people, you communicate to them in a way that they can connect with. Does that make sense? Because otherwise people go, they're talking about me, right? And he's not good. (laughs) Think about this. And know this, that sometimes actions may speak louder than words. Like before you start telling your story, you might have to serve them. They might need to sh- see and you, you show them love, and not just your words. Sometimes it means not being a jerk. Can I get an amen? Your actions speak louder than words. 
We've said this before, but years ago, a friend of mine, Larry Osborne, said this, and it stuck with me. Make beautiful music, and people will listen to the lyrics. Sometimes we just want to preach lyrics at people, and they can't hear what we're saying, but if you'll make beautiful music, then that'll get their attention, and they'll listen to the words of your life. Please keep this in mind. People are looking for someone who is willing to listen to their story as well. Someone who's willing to ask good questions before they pass judgment. Somebody who's honest about their own struggles. Somebody who's doing more than just preaching. Paul does something brilliant here. Like when he starts speaking to them, he speaks in Aramaic, and then he basically says this, hey, look, I'm a Jew like you, and I grew up in this city like you, and I was just as zealous as any of you are. And he found a way to make a connection with them so that they would hear what he was saying. See, that's different from what a lot of us do as Christians because a lot of times when we interact with someone who doesn't share the same faith convictions, who doesn't have the same um, considerations about culture and biblical ideas, we we wanna fix them before we get to know them. And can I challenge you, choose connection over correction. Don't just go after somebody and say, hey, how can I fix you? How can I tell you what's wrong? Because they're not going to listen to you until they know that you care about them. What what do they say? Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you (laughs) choose connection over correction. And realize this. like If you're not familiar with the term apologetics, apologetics is the terminology that we use sometimes to talk about understanding what we believe and why we believe it. Sometimes we want to learn that so we can argue and win a fight. The only reason you want to know those things is so if you can win a fight, that means it's not about the other person, it's about you. And can I challenge you that making right is more important than being right? When I tell my story to somebody, I want my focus to be how do I help them make things right with God, not just how can I prove to them that I am right. That's a powerful thing for us to consider. So my challenge to you, who needs to hear your story? Who is it that you're going to interact with tomorrow? Who is it that's your your friend on social media? Who is it that that you maybe even have a little bit of a tense relationship in, in your family? That Jesus might be prompting you right now, saying, have you ever shared with them your story? Because it's your story to tell. And number two, it's your story of grace. Number two, it is your story of grace. Do you you remember when you were in elementary school? Probably it was elementary school, I think, that your teacher at some point said, okay, we're going to teach you the elements of a good story. That if you're writing a story, you need to learn it. It, it, There's kind of a formula to it. There's elements to a good story. Some teachers say there's seven. Um, Some teachers say there's five. I, I prefer the test when there's only five. So let me give to you these elements of a good story. Maybe you remember this. It was a setting, a character, a plot, a conflict, and a resolution. Anybody remember this? Anybody not remember a thing about elementary school? Okay, yeah. Kind of like how you feel about last Sunday, too. Like, I don't remember a thing. Yeah, okay. These things are important, right, if you're going to write a story. Because if you, if, you, if you read a story, you write a story, you watch a movie. You ever, you ever watched a movie and you're like, there was no plot to that thing? Anybody? Ever heard a sermon and said, there's no plot to that thing? Anybody, right? Okay, so think about this. What's, what's, what do we got going on here? Well, the setting, Jerusalem, 2,000 years ago. The main character, it's Paul. Now he's going to give them a plot 
and a conflict and a resolution. And as he walks them through that, know this, that for you, the setting may be 2019. And the main character is your life. And in your life as well, there is a plot and a conflict and a resolution. Let's, let's walk through what Paul says. Acts chapter 22, verse 4. Paul says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul's not only sharing his story here, he's helping them to see the plot line. And part of that plot line is what my life was like before Jesus. What my life was like without Jesus. Those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ, track, track with me here for just a moment. Whether you're here, Auditorium 2, you're watching online somewhere, think about this for just a moment. Is life with Jesus better than life without Jesus? Like There's a, there's a plot line that's there. And when we show this to people, we help them to see this, who you were and what was missing, what was empty, how, how at, at times you were headed in the wrong direction. And here's what's beautiful about that, that as you share that and you're telling your story, if the Holy Spirit's already been working in that other person's life, as you tell your story to them, it's going to connect to their story as well. And they're going to want to know more. They're, they're going to get sucked into that story. That's, that's the plot of your story. It's the plot of your life where you help people to see this, this plot line of what's happened in your life and how you've moved forward. So Paul set the stage there. Now he's going to take us from the plot. If you remember, the next element of a good story is what? Conflict? Do you remember that? So watch what he does here. Verse, verse 6. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. If we go back to our analogy, we talked about a plot. That's, that's the plot of your life. And here we have conflict, and it's the conflict of your sin. But at some point, you, you have to come face to face with the ways that you have lived your life outside of God's best. The places where you have to recognize, I've done things that are wrong. Even more where you recognize that I can't do this on my own anymore. What I really need is a savior. And when the Holy Spirit's been working in somebody else's life and you begin to talk to them about the need that you found, then there's gonna be a hunger in them to recognize that they have the same conflict that they need to realize that they can't do it on their own either. See, salvation helps us when we come to grips that we need a savior, the reality of sin and the certainty of death and the need for forgiveness. Who doesn't need forgiveness? Like when we offer that to people and the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes and shines a spotlight on our need, it's a powerful thing and we recognize, I can't do this on my own. At some point, we all have to come to terms with this. There's a lady recently on Long Island who went out to visit the, the grave of her recently deceased parents. She walked out there and she was standing in front of the headstone. There's a floral arrangement that was there. And so when she bent down to like adjust the bow on this floral arrangement, all of a sudden, the ground beneath her began to give way. And she began to sink. And when she did, she, she bashed her head on the, on the gravestone, broke a tooth. 
And as she did, she, like, she kind of like threw herself back to right herself, and, and, and the ground gave way, and she sunk down to her hips in the dirt and would have gone farther if she hadn't grabbed hold of the headstone and hung on. Terrifying story. The, the lady is suing the cemetery for $5 million in emotional damages to be continued. Like I, I don't, and you can, you can make up your mind about all of that. But when I read that, I thought, what a, what a fascinating picture. Because for so many of us, when we come face to face with death, it sucks us in. And the reality is, there's no, there's no headstone for you to grab hold of. And no attorney's gonna help you file a lawsuit. Every single one of us, the reality is, at some point, we come face to face with death. And on our own, it's gonna pull us in unless we have someone who will save us. Back to Paul's story, Acts chapter 22, verse six, excuse me, verse nine. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. You may remember this. We, we, we talked about this in Acts chapter 9, verse 12. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. And he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. And you will be a witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. What Paul found in that point was that the plot of his life led him to a conflict with sin, and the resolution was only found because of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's the resolution of grace because Jesus came to save us, and through his death and his resurrection, you and I can find new life, and that's a good word, isn't it? That's what it's all about. And we talk here about baptism, and that's key. If you've not yet taken that step of baptism to make a public proclamation of your faith in Jesus Christ, next week is the week. Don't talk yourself out of it anymore. Take that step of faith. Look, and I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are like, okay, Chad, this is, this is good, and I'm glad you're encouraging us, and we, we really ought to share our faith. We need, to, we need to stop talking ourselves out of it, and thanks for... You know, saying it's telling our story. Look, I'm worried about this. Because what if I tell my story to somebody and I don't save them? It's not your job to save them. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do that work and to bring that salvation. Your job's not to save anybody. Do you know what your job is? Your job is just to tell them your... Just tell them your... Just tell them your... Okay, thanks. Okay, but what if, what, if, what if they don't receive it? What if they don't like it? What if they shut me down? You know, we have this, we have this idea about evangelism that if I share my faith with someone, then, then tears are going to start coming to their eyes and they're going to get down on their knees and Billy Graham will show up and music will play and then, and then they'll, they'll get saved just as they am. You know, like that's what's going to happen. That's what we think. And reality is sometimes... It's not about seeing somebody get saved in that moment. It might be a little bit more like a football game. Sometimes when there's a kickoff, the, the kick returner catches the ball and runs it all the way down the field for a touchdown. But that doesn't happen that often. 
How, how does the ball usually make it down to the end zone? Yard at a time. Well, you, you got to make 10 and 40. You know how it works, right? But, but you, you get the picture. It's a constant process of moving that ball down the field. And we tend to think that every time I share my faith, there should be a spiritual touchdown. When sometimes the job that God has given you is not to see a touchdown, it's just to help move through those defenses so that you can help that ball move down the field. Does that make sense? Because your job is not to score the touchdown. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job is to help move the ball down the field so the touchdown of eternity can be real in somebody else's life. And you do that when you tell your story because it's your story to tell and it's your story of grace. But let's just be honest. It's not really your story. Number three, it's your story of Jesus. At the end of the day, the story is really all about him. And that's why in just a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table and share in a time of communion. And I want to invite those of our, of our usher team that are going to help us. You can go ahead and step out now and begin to prepare as, as uh, you serve us communion today. Thank you for your, your service. This is a story about Jesus. Look, look at what Paul says, 1 Timothy chapter 1. He's writing his story to Timothy, and he says this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. When I read that, there were some things that jumped out at me. One is this, that Jesus came for sinners. He didn't come for perfect people. He didn't come for those who already had it all together. And I'm really glad because I've never been one of those. Do you know what I was when Jesus found me? A sinner. And Jesus loves us just like that. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. These, these are Jesus' words. He says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Paul writes, while we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. And we need to help those that we tell our story to to understand Jesus isn't looking for perfect people. He's a perfect person who came to make things right between us and God. And maybe you've been talking yourself out of a relationship with Jesus because you say to yourself, well, well I'm not good enough, and, I, and I, haven't, I haven't earned it, or I don't deserve it, or I'm not sure that it's even for me. Look, Jesus came for sinners, and then look at what else we see here is that Jesus is patient. Paul says that he has an immense patience with us. Have you ever had a day where you needed an immense patience? with a coworker, with, with, your, with your child, with your pastor, where you needed immense patience. Remember, God loves you, and he's not giving up on you. Instead, he looks at you and says, I have something special for you. Jesus came for sinners with an immense patience because Jesus gives eternal life. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, Paul, Paul sums this all up. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. He says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, 
we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. That is our story. So think about it for a minute. Think about your story. Sometimes we, we can think about our story and we see the plot lines. We see the, we see the holes in the plot. We see the conflict. And we struggle that things aren't perfect. The reality is that Jesus came and he died on the cross and he lived a life without sin so that when he died, he could pay the price for your sins and for my sins. And he lives again so that you and I can know that grace. And because of that, we have forgiveness and we have hope and we have life. And that's our story. And for that, we say, amen. Because of what Jesus has done for us. What would your life be like without Jesus? What would your story be like without him? And I challenge you, God has given you that story. You tell it because it matters. Why does it matter, Chad? Late last year, I was, I was taking some time to just kind of think and, and pray and ask God what he had in store for the church as we got into the new year. And I was, I was captivated again by the story of how in 1951, there's a group of families, five families, I believe, who said, you know, we really do believe that God is calling us to do something special. And so on the first Sunday in December in 1951, they, they went into a, a storefront on Facet Avenue in East Toledo and started a church, Calvary Assembly of God. We know it's Calvary Church today. And since 1951, there have been hundreds, probably more like thousands of people who have experienced life change because of what God called those people to do in starting this church. But can I tell you, here's what their rallying cry was. This is the story that I've heard over and over again. That when those five families came together and said, we need to start this church, why would we start this church? Here's what they said. There are too many lost people in Toledo. There are too many people who need to hear the story of Jesus Christ. We're going to do something about it. And I'm thankful that because they were willing to do that, there's not as many lost people in Toledo today as there were in 1951. But can I tell you this? There's still too many lost people. There's still too many people who need to hear the good news of Jesus. And how are they going to hear it? Man, I hope they hear it through the church and all the ways in which God has given us the opportunity. But you know how they're really going to hear it? They're going to hear it when you tell their story. When you tell the story of what Jesus can do. And when you tell your story, I believe it can change theirs. And it's a story of what Jesus has done for us. So I want to invite the ushers to come at this time. And we're going to remember that story today. As we come to the Lord's table and commemorate what Jesus did for us. Paul gives us instruction in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. In these next few moments, I would encourage you to search your heart. It may be that for some of you, you, you would just say, I know I'm not in a right relationship with God. And today I need to begin a relationship with him. The Bible says that if you will ask Jesus to be your savior, that means he's the one who forgives our sins. And if you'll invite him to be your Lord, which means the one who, who leads and guides and directs and gives purpose and meaning to your life, 
that as you invite him to be your savior and your Lord, then you receive that salvation from him. And if you need that salvation, in these next few moments, if you say, I can't do it on my own anymore, would you invite Jesus to be the Lord and savior of your life? Or maybe there's a place in your life where you just know right now things aren't the way they should be between me and God. In these next few moments, would you search your heart? The ushers will distribute the elements. The the bread represents the broken body of Jesus Christ and the cup represents his shed blood. We ask that you hold on to those things until everyone's received and then we're we're gonna share in those things together. But in these next few moments, would you search your heart and would you thank God for the story that he has given to you through the work that he's done in your life. Father, in these moments, we stop for this time to remember your sacrifice. Jesus, we thank you for your death on the cross that made life available to us. And so in these moments, we search our hearts, we thank you for our story, and we remember your sacrifice in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, you may serve. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation. of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, raising myself.
take a minute and, and uh, in your heart, thank Jesus for the difference he's made. Sometimes we, we think about where we'd be without Jesus. Would you stop for a moment and just think of where you are because of him? Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, for your patience, for your love that I didn't earn or deserve, for your sacrifice that cost you your life. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you for your broken body. That you were willing to die for our sins. And that because of your death, there is forgiveness. And there is life. And we remember your sacrifice as we share in the bread together. In Jesus' name. Let's share in the bread. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, thank you for your shed blood. Scriptures say that it's, it's in the shedding of blood that there's forgiveness of sin and that there's life in the blood and that through the blood of Jesus, we can know forgiveness and we can know healing and we can know life and we remember this and how your broken body and your shed blood has changed everything about our story. And we thank you for this as we share in the cup together. In Jesus' name, let's share in the cup. And can I invite you to stand with me if you would, please? And if you're comfortable, would you just lift your hands to the Lord? And with your own mouth, would you just begin to thank him for your story? Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for saving me when I didn't deserve it. Thank you for your patience that's so beyond what I can understand. Thank you for your love and your direction. Thank you for how you work in our lives. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for a wonderful story. What a Savior. Wonderful Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
Jesus, we thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you for your immense patience. And we thank you for the promise of eternal life. This week, Holy Spirit, would you, would you give us courage? Would you give us discernment? Or would you give us opportunities? Or Holy Spirit, we know the joy and the thrill of you working through us as we tell the story of who you are and what you've done in our lives. As we go from here, Father, would you go with us? Send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. Praying that God will give you opportunities to tell your story this week. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.